Well, tonight I want to speak on a very interesting subject. When God opens the graves. When God opens the graves. And I have three notes here to me on the pulpit. One says Revelation 20, 13. And Revelation 20, 13 certainly is an important passage in regard to this subject. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. There's coming a day <clears throat> at the great white throne judgment when all of those who have rejected truth, who've rejected Christ, will be raised, their graves will be opened, and they will stand in awe before the great God and the Lord Jesus Christ whom they denied, whom they rejected. And that's a marvelous passage. And it is related to what I'm going to preach on tonight, although it is not the text. Matthew 27, 52 is another passage that was written. I believe Allison gave me that passage, and that's a marvelous verse. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints that slept were raised. You know and recognize that this took place when Jesus was crucified. The graves were opened, but the people did not come out of those graves until Jesus himself was raised from the dead and led captivity captive and transferred paradise to heaven. That's a marvelous passage, and I thank Allison for giving me that verse. And that will be referred to tonight. And then Elizabeth gave me 1 Corinthians 15. And that's a great passage. Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. That whole chapter deals with the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15. And part of that chapter says, If Christ be not risen, then our faith is vain, and we are still in our sins. And I'm going to be referring to that chapter tonight, but that is not the text that I was going to use, but a marvelous text. I want you to turn in your Bible to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. We're talking tonight about when God opens the graves. Ezekiel 37. I appreciate the way the children sang a while ago. The kids corral, God bless you. And all the wonderful singing we've had tonight. I failed to mention that Mike Phillips was killed in an automobile accident the other night. Mike has attended our church in years gone by. And we want to remember his family. There's a great sorrow in their hearts over that sudden death, reminding us that we do not know how long we have. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of prayer. We ask You to touch the families whose names we've called already tonight, and some who are very, very sick. Thank You for the great spirit here tonight, for the wonderful voluntary choir and the way they blessed our lives. We thank Thee for the Word of God. We pray we shall look forward to that glorious hour when God does the impossible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
The thought came to me concerning this text and this message when I read the account in the paper of the funeral director in Springfield, Tennessee. I will not mention his name, but certainly all of us read that with unusual interest and with almost a sense that this is impossible. This could not really be somebody with their casket buried sideways. Somebody else found with their arms sticking out of the casket. Somebody, some casket found empty. Some casket found with trash and dirt. One casket found with a, with a bucket over the head of the person in the casket. I could go on with enough that would make us sick at our stomachs. And I thought of all those bodies that were being exhumed and graves being opened. And I thought, well, God is going to open graves. Matter of fact, he's already done it. But when he does it, it will be with a very important purpose. There are several accounts in the scripture of unusual uh, things happening in regard to graves. For example, with your finger held in Ezekiel, will you turn to 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21? Verse 20. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 20. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in the year, of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Wasn't that some experience? A man buried, and suddenly he touches the bones of a man who's already been dead, and he's just alive. This is the only recorded miracle of Elisha after he died. Very interesting. The passage that Allison gave us a while ago, Matthew 27, 52, reminds us that when Jesus was crucified and they, he died at after suffering the anguish on the cross and the sun was darkened, there was an earthquake and the Bible says that some of the graves in Jerusalem were opened and three days later when Jesus was raised from the grave some of the people who had been in, lived in Jerusalem, some of the saints who had lived in Jerusalem got up and walked around the city after they'd been dead for many years. I just wonder who they were. I wonder if Isaiah was among them or Jeremiah, or some of the other prophets, or some of the other great men of God. It is not recorded who they were, but they got up and walked around Jerusalem. But the interesting thing is, they didn't stay in Jerusalem very long. The day Jesus rose from the grave, they went quickly with him, because he transferred paradise to heaven. And now, when you die, if you're saved, you don't go to paradise. The thief did. Jesus said today, they all shall be with me in paradise. Paradise was that part of the compartment of death, the realm of Sheol, the realm of the grave, where the righteous dead were. And when the Lord died on the cross, he went to that realm of the dead called paradise, where he said, I'll meet the thief, 
and he led captivity captive. He gave gifts unto men. He had vindicated the faith of the faithful. And all of those who were in paradise marched into God's presence in heaven with Jesus because he took the blood and placed it before the altar. And then he came and the 40 days took place here. There's coming a glorious day one day when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair and the saved of earth shall gather to their home beyond the shore and the roll is called up yonder we'll be there spoken of in first Thessalonians chapter 4 but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again we also believe that those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Have you ever gone out by the tomb of a loved one, somebody who was very dear to you? And I hope you do that from time to time. Don't ignore those in the cemeteries. I don't mean to be morbid tonight. But I think there's something very invigorating and very moving about just going out to the garden of the dead and standing beside the grave marker of somebody who has meant a lot to us. And just whispering a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for all that this dear one meant. I remember visiting the grave of D.L. Moody at Round Top in Northfield, Massachusetts. I took the shoes from off my feet. I walked up to that little guarded place with a rail, with a fence around it, chain fence. My mother was with me. And I asked my mother to pray. Very sacred moment. From time to time, when I'm going up towards Cincinnati, I'll get off the main highway of 71 and go into Newcastle. And I'll go and stand by my dad's grave. Not to be morbid. He's not there. But just to remember and thank God. There's coming a day when the graves will be opened. If we live unto the coming of the Lord, those who have died with faith in Christ will be raised first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we ever, ever be with the Lord. Thank God for those glorious truths. But in Ezekiel 37, we have something a little bit different. And I want to read this tonight. Follow along in your Bible, please. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a, a valley which was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. 
and I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. We recognize this immediately as the story of Israel. Israel died, died a tragic death. God had said, the soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death, whether it be in an individual or a nation. And Israel had ignored God. No nation can continue to ignore God. We cannot spit in God's face. We cannot ignore his pleadings and the plain teachings of his word. Ezekiel, uh, rather Israel, did that. God had made the holy day Saturday, the Sabbath day, something very, very precious. For 70 years, <clears throat> the people of God had ignored the Sabbaths. Saturday was wide open, just like Sunday is wide open in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I drove down Scottsville Road today and even saw a car wash place open. That's really needed, isn't it? Really necessary. And God said, because of your sins, I'm going to allow a heathen nation to overwhelm you. And that's what happened. In 722, the Assyrians conquered northern Israel and led them into captivity. In 585 B.C., the Babylonian hordes came and took southern Judah into captivity. And for 70 years, they were down in Babylon. And it's in this setting, while they're down in Babylon, that God says, Ezekiel, I'm going to do something that they'll never believe. I'm going to raise them from this grave. And Ezekiel was translated out and had a vision of graves in a valley and dry bones in those graves. And the voice said, Can these live? And Ezekiel said, Oh Lord, thou knowest? I don't know. I'm not sure. But you know everything. Listen to this. He caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley. They were dry. Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Now God gave a threefold formula of how to get those bones out of their graves. And I want to apply this tonight, first of all, to Israel. Because in its basic context, I don't believe we can escape the understanding that that's where the finger is. Israel had died. She was 
alone. The whole valley was full of her bones. National Israel was no more. There was no nation named Israel. Some of you, many of you, have grown up since 1948. And you have read almost every day in the newspaper about Israel. It's in there every day. It, it has been for years. But there was a time when I was growing up, before 1948, the only place you ever read about Israel was in the Bible. Do any of you remember a time like that? Lift your hands if you do. Yeah. But all of a sudden, God brought to pass what he promised hundreds of years before. But there were three necessities in this bringing to pass. And as we apply it first to Israel, God said to the prophet in verse 8, uh, verse 4, He said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The only way Israel was ever to be resurrected as a nation was for the word of God to be valid. Years ago, Mordecai Ham, the great fighting evangelist from Bowling Green, Kentucky, used to preach that the Jews would go back to Palestine. And people laughed at him. And they made fun. They said, well, that's just a fairy story. That's just some kind of illustration. That doesn't talk about natural Israel. That's not talking, you, you just can't take the Bible that literally. Now, Brother Ham, that's what they'd say. And he said, well, whether you like it or not, that's what God says, and I believe it. Man. And he preached it. And a lot of preachers made fun of it. A lot of Christians made fun of it. They said, that's not possible. But he preached the word of God. Man. The word of God is unbroken. The, un, the word of God cannot be broken. It will accomplish the thing we're into of sin. And God said, Ezekiel, you go out in that valley of dry bones and you just prophesy. You preach to that valley of dry bones. And so Ezekiel began to preach. Can you imagine him out there in the middle of these dry bones? And thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a great noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Now here come the bones. That's an amazing thing. Oh, Ezekiel gets out here and he starts preaching and he just preaches up a storm. Here come these bones knitting together, bone to its bone, knit to its bone, and the shin bone and all those kind of things. And here were all these bones. But there was no breath. There was no life. Just the bones. The Word of God must be accompanied by something else. And so, we read in verse 9, then he said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. Now the wind in Scripture is the same word for spirit, pneuma. And so the prophet was told to go prophesy to the wind. And say to the wind, Come and give life. To these dry bones that have knit together 
And that's exactly what he did. He prophesied, he preached to the wind. <laughs> I've known a lot of preachers who go out in the woods and practice preaching to the trees and to the rocks and to the creeks and the lakes just to get their voice up, get their courage up, get their nerve up so they could go back to the church and shout and scream. Well, that's what old Ezekiel did. He went out there in this valley of dry bones and he began to preach to the wind. Wind, come from the north and the south and the east and the west. Come and breathe upon these and give them breath that they might live. And because Ezekiel believed God and did it, those bones received life. Amen. Keep in mind this is all a prophecy of something that was to later happen to the nation Israel. But there's still something missing. Verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came upon them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet an exceedingly great army. The third thing that was necessary was the will. The word, the wind, the will. The word of God was involved in these bones coming back. The wind of God, the Spirit of God was involved in these winds receiving life. But before they could get up and get going, there had to be the will of those people who had been given new life. And they had to get up because they willed to get up. And they determined to do it. God being my helper, I'm going to do it. And he, Ezekiel was told by God a secret that was not fulfilled until 1948 when the Jews, because the word of God had spoken and is unbroken, the Jews came from the four corners of the earth and came back to their little land of Palestine. And the wind of God assisted them and gave life to what they were doing. And those people who had been pushed down and pressed down and had been beaten and six million of them murdered in Holocaust in, West, in Germany, those Jews willed to come back a strong nation. Just four or five million of them now, surrounded by a hundred million Arabs, and I'm not against the Arabs. I thank God for them. Matter of fact, in many ways, they're more likable than the Jews. You go to Jerusalem today, and you can make friends with those little Arab kids by giving them something and so on. The Jews are sort of standoffish, and they, they're not that easy to get to. Same thing is true in America. I, Jews are sometimes very hard. I love them. I'm not speaking against them. But sometimes they're hard to get to know, hard to understand. <clears throat> But now those four or five million Jews are back in their homeland. And they had a will that said, we will die before we give up this land again. And that's the history behind what's going on in the papers all the time. Man. And when they're surrounded by these 100,000 Arabs who want to push them into the sea and destroy them and get rid of them again, they say, we'll die first. And indeed that may happen because the Bible predicts there's a terrible time of Jacob's trouble coming in the tribulation when these same Jews who have gone back in spiritual blindness will be treated kindly by the Antichrist and he'll make a covenant with them for three and a half years 
and they'll be duped into accepting that covenant and they will be permitted to build a temple. And in the middle of that tribulation period, the Antichrist will reveal himself for what he is and break the covenant and there will be a revolt and a terrible invasion of the land of Palestine and the armies of the world will come and encompass about the city and about that whole land <clears throat> and down in the valley of Jehoshaphat and the blood will be up to the horses' bridles according to Revelation 14, the last verse. That's all future. Now we know in its original context this applies to Israel. I thank God for Israel, but I want to quickly come to a close tonight by saying these are the keys to getting you and God's people and God's church out of the grave. Somebody has said a rut, a grave is a rut with the ends knocked out. And sometimes God's people get into a grave and they don't know how to get out of it. And the harder they try, the deeper they get in the grave. There are three elements that are necessity if we're to get out of these graves. God will open the grave that you're in. Sometimes these graves are spiritual graves. Well, you've gotten down in a slew of despond and you can't get out and you don't know what to do about it. You're discouraged and you're dis dismayed and you're depressed. And what you feel like doing is go home and pull the covers up and just shut the windows and cover up and close yourself out. There are people like that today. Sometimes graves are sins. Habitual sins that we get into. We don't know how to break the habit. We don't know what to do about it. We would like to get out of it. We'd like to be free. We don't know how to do it. Sometimes these graves are just the old, same old way we've done things always and we don't know how to get out of them, don't know what to do about them. Sometimes these graves are terrible pitfalls that have occurred in our lives. We've made some maybe wrong choices, turned down some wrong lanes. We've had some skeletons in our closet that we don't know what to do with and these things seem to haunt us and these graves are seeking to devour us and keep us down in them. And I want to submit to you tonight that God can give victory over the graves. And God can open the graves. Just like he opened the graves in Jerusalem. And those, those old saints walked around Jerusalem. Just like he opened the grave of Elisha. When Elisha had died and this man was put down there and he touched Elisha's bones and up he came. God can open your grave. What kind of grave are you in tonight? What kind of grave is God's church in tonight? Listen, we live in a world of five billions of people. There are only two billions that know anything about Jesus. Another billion have heard about him but don't know very much. And two more billion don't know anything about him at all. This is 2,000 years after our Lord said, go, go, go. And I want to sound out a prophetic message tonight. Some of you, if the Lord tarries, are young enough that you'll see this happen. If we do not 
accept the challenge of world evangelism and global evangelism to get the gospel out to the ends of the earth, God will pass us by and use somebody else to do the task. W.A. Crystal said by the year 2000, the Christian, the Christian community will be less than 1%, less than 2%, he said, of the world's population. When I began to preach at Glendale 30 years ago, the world's population, 35 to 40%, named the name of Christ. Today, it is about 20 to 24%. And communism and paganism and the Mohammedan religions and the Eastern mystical religions are winning with a lie while God's people are losing with the truth. Some years ago, a communist in Paris told Billy Graham, I'd shoot my mother if the Communist Party asked me to and wouldn't ask a question. That's the kind of loyalty. And most of us have the kind of loyalty that says, like the boy said to his sweetheart, dear darling, I love you so much, I'd walk around the whole world just to see you for a little while. I'd climb the highest mountain just to be with you for a few minutes. P.S. I'll be over to see you Saturday night if it don't rain. And that's about the way we treat the Lord. Lord, I love you. And we give him our nickels and dimes. My Jesus, I love you. We go out and buy all the latest hits and rock music and all that stuff that ought to be back in hell where it came from. Lord, I love you. But you surely don't expect me to come to church three times a week, do you? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Lord, I love you, but you just don't understand. Lord, maybe you do understand. You're such a good old God. You're a great doll, a living doll. I love you so much. You're like Santa Claus. And Lord, you know that I can't afford to give you any money. I just can't afford it. Other people can, but I can't. I can't afford to tithe. Well, Lord, I love you with all my soul, and I want you to take me to heaven when I die. But Lord, don't expect anything like that to me. After all, it's not my business that the people over in Japan aren't saved, and the people in Korea aren't saved, and the people in South America aren't saved. That's, what's that to me? That's exactly what Cain said when the Lord said, Cain, where is your brother? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? And I submit to you tonight that you and I are the keepers of the house of this world. It is our responsibility if Brazilians die without God. It is our responsibility if the Nigerians die without God. It is our responsibility if the Koreans do not know about the Lord. Thank God for the great revival that's going on in Korea. has been for several years. How are we going to get out of the grave as a church? Out of the ruts? What shall we do? Oh, hear the word of the Lord. There are three requirements. Number one, the word of God. Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. You and I have to hear the word. We're responsible for what the word says, but we have to hear the word. And the word of God says, every boy and girl, every man and woman on this side of the room, 
has a world responsibility to get the gospel out. If you cannot go, you must send a substitute. Every boy and girl, man and woman in this, part, in this part of the building is under a divine mandate to get the gospel out. If you cannot go, you must send a substitute. Everybody over on this side of the room, you're under a divine mandate to get the word of God out. And if you don't do it, it won't get done. Now, I know that some to whom I preach tonight are going to hear it with one ear and it'll go out the other ear. Some won't even hear it because you're dreaming about a thousand other things. But some are going to hear it tonight. And see, that's, that's, that's the hope. The hope of getting us out of the rut. The hope of getting us out of the grave is to hear the Word of God. Because when we hear God's Word... Go ye into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. We hear the word of God. The Christian has to say, yes, sir, Lord, I hear that. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Yes, Lord. I hear that. I hear that. This precious girl that came to Jesus this morning. I didn't tell you, I forgot to tell you that she's the daughter of Mrs. Cole. Mrs. Cordy Cole. I didn't know it. She worked over at Crystal. And I eat a lot at Crystal. If I don't eat in some of your homes, that's where I eat every day. I go by and get me a crystal hamburger. It's cheaper than the McDonald's. And a Coke, Diet Coke. That's what I eat. And she worked there. I used to invite her to church and give her gospel tracts, talk to her about the Lord. And I noticed an interest, but never, never, never came. Two Sundays ago, she came to church. I could sense that God was convicting her. This morning she came to give her heart to Christ. God does not tell us that we're going to have 100% victory in our witnessing. But he does tell us to 100% witness. Wherever we go to give out the gospel. And that's the word. Hear the word of the Lord. Glendale Baptist Church, let's get excited about reaching people for Christ. In this city, over at Western University, a community of 14,000 people who are going to be out leading this world. We have people from Western University who are in Washington in the government now. We have people from Western University who are in very important positions of responsibility in other colleges, some as presidents and so on. We have people from Western University who are ambassadors to other nations now. We have a veritable mission field. And I want to say to the army of young people, a small army, yes. That small army, if you'd get together and say, by the grace of God, we're not going to get defected. We're going to march on Western and witness to somebody that God can give us and all along pray that God will give us the heart of somebody for Christ. God will use you. We've had some high school students who have graduated in years gone by from some of our schools in Bowling Green. And the temptation was to go to some other school somewhere. And I thank God for all the Christian schools. I went to three Christian schools. I went to Camelsville College and Union University and Southern Seminary. 
But I'm grateful for some who paid the price to say we want to be missionaries right here. Now today, there's a little diminishing of that boldness. I'm going to come to that in a moment. But we must hear the word of God to go and reach our mission field. There, here across the city, across the county, where there are 80 thousands of people. The thing that will get us out of the rut is to march out of this building on Sunday night determined in our hearts that wherever we go to work, wherever we go to school, whatever we do, the main thing in our life is going to be to reach somebody for Jesus Christ. That week, and next Sunday, have them walk down the aisle for God. Amen. Secondly, in verse 9, Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, Prophesy, O son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. The way to get out of the grave, the way God opens the grave, is not only the word, but the wind. These dead bones were all knit together. They were an army, but they were lifeless until the wind of God came upon them. And I want to submit to you tonight, we have an army and I know that this church loves the Lord. And the people that I preach to tonight, I feel ashamed in my heart because many of you have outloved God more than I could love Him. And I pray all the time, oh, for grace to love the Lord more, more and more and more. But I want to submit to you tonight the only way we will get out of the grave is for us to say, oh, wind of God, come upon us. The wind of the Spirit of God and wake us up from our dead lethargy. How many times when we go out, and I speak to a select group tonight, when we go out soul winning on Thursday night, how many times do you really agonize, Lord, Lord, I don't want to come back tonight till I've had the privilege of seeing somebody say yes to Jesus Christ. Now the only way you can do that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, we can go visiting in our own steam. Hello, I'm from Glendale Baptist Church, blah, 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 blah. But when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit's going to give an affinity to our mind and heart to where the lost people are. It's going to be like sort of a spiritual magnet, and He will lead us to them. He'll put them on our hearts. We look at these cards, and we're saying, the Lord, shall I go here, or here, or here? I won't be confused about it. The Holy Spirit will say, go here. And you go there, and maybe it's the wrong address. You say, well, that's strange. I thought God was leading me here. But you find out that somebody is there that needs Jesus. Or somebody lives next door that needs Jesus. You see, we need the wind of God upon us. And only the wind of God will wake you folks that are tired, and you're weary, and you're high blood pressure, and you're high blood sugar. And all the other things that you offer God as excuses and say, God, I can't, I can't, I can't because I'm sick. 
Only God's powerful Holy Spirit moving in your heart will say, Wake up! Get up! It'd be better to die out there on the road knocking on somebody's door than to stay at home and die in your own bed or die watching the television. And I believe that. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. God's Spirit and the wind of God moving upon our hearts will lead us to do. You see, this is the preaching tonight. But unless you personally ask the wind of God to come upon you, you'll resent what I'm saying. You say, oh, that preacher's gone to meddling. I don't like what he said. He's preaching too long tonight. I don't like, what, I don't like the way they do it anyway. See, that's in your own flesh. Man. And I want you to listen. Wake up and listen. When the Holy Spirit begins to deal in your soul and in your heart and begins to bring bone to bone and knit, and you're knitted together and the Spirit of God gets you up and fills you with life, you'll get and some of you young people have heard God dealing with your heart about His will for your life and your life is filled with plain inconsistency. You sing in the choir one time, don't two times. Go visiting once, miss three or four times. Show up here, don't show up here. That's not of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit gets hold of your heart, He moves you to do the will of God. Now, there's one more thing. If we're going to get out of the grave. And of course, we have to know we're in a grave before we can get out of it. I read about this guy that was walking through the cemetery, and he stumbled and fell into a grave. And he tried and tried and tried and tried to get out. He couldn't. He just tried every way. He just pulled. He just couldn't get out. So he just sat down in one end of the grave said, I guess I'll just have to stay here. In a few minutes, another guy came through, and he stumbled and fell in that same grave, and he started climbing and trying to get out, and that other guy said, you'll never get out of here. <laughs> but he did. <laughs> now, we have to know we're in the grave before we want to get out of it. And there have to be enough shock to us to get us out, and that's the shock of the Holy Spirit. But the third thing is the will. That last verse. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. The will to do it. The will of God is always bigger than you bargained for. Some of you tonight are going to let this message pass by. I pray that you won't. I wish you just right now pray, pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. If you sense tonight a coldness, a deadness, there's something drastically wrong inside of you. Some of you have one time walked in the will of God and you become careless. Would you just now reach out and say, Oh, Holy Spirit, speak to me. I don't want to play the game anymore. I don't want to play the church game anymore. I want to be all the way in. I want to do what God wants. And if you'll do it, God will bless you and God will use you. There has to be that will. See, all the preaching in the world, you're going to, you know, I've stood at the door sometime, people go out and say, I enjoyed your sermon, Lord. Or, 
cross, preacher. You know what I feel like saying? I didn't preach it for you to enjoy. Don't say that to preachers. You can say, I hated your sermon. Your sermon bothered me. When you go out and say, I enjoyed your sermon, it sounds like the preacher didn't say much, but sort of tickled your little liver and you had felt good about it. I hope you don't feel good about this tonight. hope it's so awful that I have to go out the back door to keep you from pressing on me and killing you. And I want to tell you, some are in a grave and you don't even know it. Others observe it, but you don't see it. It's possible for a whole work to be in a grave and they don't know it. Hear the word of God. Pray that the wind of God will arouse us and wake us and get us going. But then there has to be that personal will that says, Lord, I want your will done. I want to do it. I want to do it. No matter what the price, I want to do it. I want to do it. When God opens the grave, there's going to be some victories. One of the things I look forward to at the end time is the fulfillment of 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. I don't think he was talking to people sleeping in church, but maybe he was. I don't know. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. There's going to be a glorious day when God opens the graves. I hope I don't have to die and go to a grave. But if I do, I'm looking forward to that day when the graves will be opened and the spirit that has winged its flight to wing realms immortal comes and reunites with a glorified body that doesn't have to be tempted and tried anymore but have victory in Jesus. When God opens the grave, what a glory day it'll be. But let's not wait till the end day. Let's have it open now. In our own realm, whatever the problem, whatever the burden, whatever the, whatever the rut we're in, let's ask God to do something about it. If you're here and you're not saved, you've never given your heart to Jesus, what a glorious night to come to Christ just now. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer and of being here in God's house. And I thank you for these dear godly people who have heard the message tonight. Some have given quick attention. We pray that thy spirit, the wind of God, would blow upon our hearts. Wake us up. Lord, we pray there will come a transforming power in our giving, a transforming power in our going a transforming power in our growing. God grant. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. This is God's invitation. You know what the Holy Spirit has said to you. He just told me to bring this message. Whatever the Spirit of God has said to you, you're responsible for it. If you're here and you're not saved, 
you've never given your heart to Christ, I want to plead with you to come to Jesus tonight. If you're already a Christian, are you in a grave somewhere? You need to get out of it. Maybe it's a grave in husband and wife relationships. Maybe it's a grave in parent and children relationships. Maybe it's a grave in your understanding of God's will for your life. Whatever God has spoken to you about, let's do His will. Let's put things aside. Hear the word. Let the wind of God fill us with His glory and power. And then ask Him to touch our will so we'll have the strength to get up and get going at it. God will bless us. We're going to sing this hymn, 249. Just as I am, as we sing it, the invitation is open. Will you step out for Christ and do what God wants you to do tonight? God help you to do it.